Oh, it's a hump week edition of Birds 365. Well, kind of, sort of. The different week, because the Eagles don't play till Monday night. And when they do, it will be against the Dallas Cowboys. So it's Dallas week for what that means. We are your Mac and Mac Birds 365 guys. Mr. McMullen, you look good at the beach. Um, yeah, I got to get inside to the casino, though, Jody, at some point. You're closer. I got to uh, get, you know. You know the new James Bond movie is coming out soon, so I gotta get I gotta get at the the craps table or something. They with, uh, really there's a new Bond one. Usually, I'm pretty much on top of that. I did not know. Well, that's one with Daniel Craig. Come on, big story I, this morning about I, James Bond shouldn't be a woman, which is comical to me because well, the character's a man, so right. that probably should. Jeanette be. Bond is that where we're going right, next? Right. If we're gonna. Uh, swing it over, uh, more power to him, but it won't be James Bond, because you're right, that's a male character. Speaking of a whole lot of males, they will be playing on Monday night between the Eagles and the Cowboys. And yes, it's Dallas week. Yours truly has been in town now for 31 years. This is my 32nd Eagle season, as a matter of fact. And uh, I didn't, it didn't take long for me to get indoctrinated to the Cowboy-Eagle rivalry way back when um, it is something that has been celebrated and looked forward to year in and year out in this town. And I get it. If you remember the history, and it is, it's history of 20 years ago, Wilbert Montgomery, NFC championship game, long touchdown run, birds go to the Super Bowl, hold off the Dallas Cowboys, who had been one of the power brokers in the NFL for the decade previous. Well, then, yeah, this is huge. John, that was 1980. I'll do the math for you. That's 41 years. It's been a long time. Now, Buddy Ryan added some juice to it. Uh, Jerry Jones added some juice to it. Uh, There have been years where it's uh, been a uh, showdown between top teams. Stopping Emmett twice on fourth and one at the old uh, link was at the old uh, vet was phenomenal. But let's be honest. Over the last, where do you want to draw the line? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. This rivalry is kind of based on history. And it's not most recent history, as a matter of fact. When the Eagles have been good, the Cowboys have been mediocre. When the Cowboys have been good, which over the last 20 years has not been very often, the Eagles weren't good. I think the rivalry is much more based in history, borderline ancient, and in the minds of some uh, up there in years of following the team, Eagle fans, than it actually has been on the field itself. Yeah, you're 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 right. I mean, there's no question about it. It's more based on on sort of like the Hatfields and McCoys. You're supposed to hate the Cowboys, so you hate the Cowboys in Philadelphia, you're and in, you're indoctrinated to it, but. Uh, you know, why is there a reason to hate the cow? You might want to feel sorry for them if you thought about it in a logical fashion. Um, and I joke because they have a lot of uh, advantages in this league because of their owner and how much power he has. But they haven't been able to take advantage of it. So, um, yeah, they haven't been very good. There's that. Remember that commercial when the Yankees Red Sox was really, you know, the biggest rivalry in sports and both teams were good and. Aaron Boone and the Red Sox still haven't won. I think it was Alec Baldwin and John Krasinski. And uh, 
Alec Baldwin was the Yankees fan. And he basically said, you know, Kindling doesn't have a rivalry with fire. Because <laughs> the Yankees would always beat them. Now, now the Red Sox have won so many times. Right. It kind of doesn't mean anything anymore. And you're right. I mean, it's not the, the Eagles Cowboys used to be this massive rivalry. Um, and for years, by the way, if you want to go back to the Roger Staubach Cowboys, I mean, it wasn't much of a rivalry because the Cowboys were beaten up on the Eagles and they turned the tables. So it's more of a Hatfield-McCoy rivalry where you just you hate them because you're supposed to hate them. Right. And we'll see if we can build up some good hatred between now and Monday. But both teams are one and one at this stage. Cowboys get beat opening week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, although Dak Prescott looked very good. We had lots of questions about Dak coming into week number one, gets injured last year, major injury coming back from it, from our, our uh, hard knocks fandom, which, you know, I'm a big fan. That was maybe the most compelling thing of the entire seasonal broadcast this year. They start with a tight shot on the ankle of Dak Prescott, and you see the cut there, the the, the size of the surgery that he had to have, and then uh, start to talk to him and portray uh, what he had to do to get ready for the season. Then he gets hurt in preseason on hard knock, doesn't play. They got to keep him in bubble wrap because they don't want to take a chance of his shoulder. We had no idea he was going to be able to do week one. He threw it pretty well against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They didn't win the game. Brady had it last. He pulled it off. More power to him. Uh, but Dak looked pretty good. And then this past week, they went on the road. Give the Cowboys this much. They played two straight road games, John. They yeah. come home for the first time against the Eagles, and they got a win against the uh, San Diego, the formerly San Diego Chargers, now L.A. Chargers, out at SoFi in L.A., um, Cowboys, I would give them the same kind of grade that I would give the Eagles so far. A passing grade, a better than bad grade, but they didn't wow me coming out one and one the same way that we, the Eagles haven't wowed me with them being one and one through two games. Yeah, I, I mean, well, one and one is if you are what your record says you are, it's too small a sample size. I don't know. The Cowboys were pretty impressive sticking in the game with Tampa Bay, I thought. Uh, obviously, that was a shootout, and, and and they weren't able to get it done. And then you're right to be able to bounce back against what I think is an up-and-coming team, and I think Justin Herbert's going to be a, a pretty good quarterback in this league. But, you know, you, you expect the Cowboys to be good on offense. You expect them to be bad on defense. And, and again, as small as the sample size is, that's what it's been uh, so far early in the season. They're ranked fourth in offense, 27th in defense, and 31st in passing defense. So kind of what we expected the Cowboys to be. Um, and I expect them to be that continuing on. It's interesting this matchup because the Eagles have been, I think, way better defensively than people expected. Um, offensively, they've been good running the ball, not great passing the ball, which is kind of what we expected. Um, let's Let me pull up those numbers really quick. So the Eagles are, are 15th in offense, basically right middle of the pack, middle but they're the pack, second, right? second in rushing offense. So kind of what we expected with Jalen Hurts adding to the running game. 
and then the 22nd in pass offense. But defensively, they're ranked number four. So if you look at this game, Jody, and say, well, you got to take advantage of that Cowboys inability to stop the pass, can the Eagles do that? I don't know. That's the question we're trying to answer, and that's the question I've been bringing up. And we're going to have Dave Zangaro on. I want to ask him. It is I talked a little bit about this with you yesterday. Is What's more important here, figuring out what you have long-term with Jalen Hurts or, or finding a way how to beat the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night? I think if you ask Nick Sirianni, the question is obvious. Beat the Cowboys. I think if you ask Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, it's a different question. Remember, remember what Jeffrey Lurie said about when he fired Doug Peterson. Well, Doug wants to win that that convoluted. Doug wants to win right now. Well, guess what? You got a coach who wants to win right now, and is trying to to mask the deficiencies uh, of the quarterback. I don't know why you shouldn't do that as a coach. But, I mean, if that's not what you want, you got to figure out a way how to figure out a way, if you know what I mean. I do. And it is something that the Eagles are going to be dealing with all year, that they might be in different odds at different directions that they are with this franchise. Let's talk about the coach and the quarterback for a second here, because I had a call on my show on WIP on Monday night. And <laughs> I, I would just answer it as best I could off the top of my head. Uh, and then I got up and did Birds 365 with you yesterday. But yesterday afternoon, I had a chance to go back and rewatch the tape from the game in this one particular aspect. Because what the caller said uh, both befuddled me a little bit and annoyed me at the same time. He said, the Eagles can make their decision now. Jalen Hurts is not the quarterback to take them into the future because he's a running quarterback. And you can't win with a running quarterback in the National Football League. Have we not shown that so far? And I said, yeah, but in watching that game against the 49ers, I thought Jalen Hurts' running was one of the things that kept them in the game. If they didn't have the ability to run the football with their quarterback, that could have been uglier than it was. Oh, Which yeah, they wouldn't have scored a touchdown. I mean, right. the big play was the scramble to set up the touchdown, which was, I think, 27 yards. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you want you want that delicate balance. Like I always say, Aaron Rodgers is the balance you want. You want to think throw first, but it's nice, and Russell Wilson is probably the better example for Jalen Hurts because he's such an effective runner, but he's always looking to throw it first. He's always looking downfield to make the big play. You know, by the way, he's already won. He almost won two. So that kind of uh, – you can win this way. Um, you know, it's interesting. We were talking before we got on air about some of Tom Brady's comments about how the game has changed. It's also made it easier for running quarterbacks because they're not in danger like they were in, in, in days of yore, where if you took off and run, you might get your head knocked off. Defensive players are going to get flagged for anything that looks violent. Uh, so it makes it a little easier from that perspective. Um, yeah, I, I, that's the way the league's going. Now the question is, can you win with the Tom Brady type? Now and everyone says, well, Tom Brady won. Yeah, Tom Brady's the outlier. You're trying to find the next Tom Brady. Is it easier to find the next Tom Brady or the next Russell Wilson? Well, 
it's not easy to find either, but the Kyler Murray's of the world, the Jal- there's more templates for for the latter than the former. I don't see a lot of potential Tom Brady's coming up in the NFL. You do have to remember that Brady is the exception to the rule, not the rule. He is the exception to the rule. And you mentioned about the way the NFL is legislated and uh, the fact that uh, they protect the quarterbacks, which makes it more viable for a guy to take off and run the 27 yard gain that Jalen had. I'd completely forgotten about this. It just went out of my mind as I'm watching it. He looked at the end of that play, like a savvy 10 year veteran quarterback he gets 27 yards. He steps out of bounds. He comes to a dead halt. He sucks the defenseman into hitting him. Yeah. And they throw the 15-yard flag yeah. on top of it. So the 27-yard yeah. run and became a 40-yard run. That, that, that was a bad call from San Francisco's perspective. I mean, that's a perfect example of the defender's conundrum and the fact that Okay, Jalen keeps going and going and going. He's not going out of bounds, so I'm a, I as a defender have to tackle him. He's a runner. He's not a quarterback. In theory, he shouldn't have the quarterback protection, but we know what that means in the NFL. It's not really true, and sure enough, he goes to tackle him, and, and Jalen's smart enough, as you said, to take the step out of bounds and get some 15. It's impossible to play defense in this league, which I say all the time. Um, but yeah, he took advantage of the rules, and that's why I'd rather have a Jalen Hurts type than a traditional pocket quarterback in the modern NFL. I think you're up against it with the traditional pocket quarterback, as and 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 that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. And I'm supposed to be the old guy with the gray beard, but you know, evolve or die, adapt or die. These are different rules. If, yeah. if you're giving me the the 1990 rules, I'm going the exact opposite way. But that's they, not what we have today. They do protect the quarterback in the pocket, too. So it's not like if you're a pocket quarterback, you got no chance to achieve. I don't believe that. But there seem to be more youthful, running, athletic quarterbacks coming into the league than they have. And as you say, Russell Wilson already has a Super Bowl trophy, and he was damn close to getting a second one, except for – in a pocket quarterback type play, decided to try and sing the ball into the end zone that was a little, little advised. And uh, that Belichick guy got another one. Here's, here is where I was going with that Jalen thing uh, that the caller said they can't win because a running quarterback, he's just too old school for either you or I. I went back and looked at the nine plays that Jalen ran the football Saturday, uh, Sunday against San Francisco. And when I was answering it on the air, I was just doing it off my top of my head. I said, be truthful. You haven't watched the game. I thought there was maybe one play where he dropped back and he just gave up on the pass potential like that too quickly. And I went back and rewatched it. And there was one, like I said, as many times as he dropped back, there was one where I thought, all right, maybe he needed to give it another beat. Maybe there was going to be. It looked like he did the one read, not there. I'm taking off the type thing, which, oh, by the way, he rushed for 12 yards in the first down. It wasn't like he panicked. He went into run mode and he got tackled behind the line of scrimmage. No, he, he got a first down. He got 12 yards on the play. The other nine times he ran the ball, he should have run the ball. There's not even a debate on it. 
uh, four or five or more RPOs, which were designed for him to run the football anyway. And the other ones flushed out of the pocket, designed <laughs> runs. I, I don't know where people get off going, yeah, you know, Jalen Hurts, he, he, he panics that he gets too caught up in the running game. No, he doesn't. He waits. He makes the play that he has to make. And, oh, by the way, he's second rushing quarterback in the National Football League behind only Lamar Jackson. I think it's been a strength for him here in the first two games of the season. Well, they're, they're as I said, they're ranked second in the NFL in rushing offense. The quarterback, uh, they average 162 yards a game rushing. Uh, the quarterback averages 72 of that. So it's been a strength so far. Um, I don't think it's going to, you know, my, I would say if you're concerned about Jalen Hurts, there was the one play where sort of uh, rolling out left and he had Dallas Goddard um, in the flat and he held the football and he didn't get it out on time. And he tried to get it ill-conceived pass to, I think it was Devontae Smith down the field who didn't win on his route instead of just taking what was there. The on-time stuff, Nick Sirianni's already talked about that. He's a tick late on some of those intermediate throws, whether he's not confident doing it, whether he doesn't see it. That's my biggest concern with Jalen Hurts. I think it's the head coach's biggest concern, to be honest. Um, I'm not concerned about his running ability. His running ability is the strongest part of this offense right now, to be honest. And, and, it's, I not, really, and it's not close, by the way. What I'd really like to know, and only those in the inner circle know, how many of those routes are really in their game plan every single week? If he's a tick second on the intermediate route, I'll believe it when the coach says that. But how many is he actually being given a choice to make a decision on? That Are they running it? Is it the fourth choice on every single read and progression the intermediary? Because they certainly... Well, they don't get to the fourth progression in this offense. So you know it's not the fourth progression. And this particular one, and I'll try to find it, 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 in this particular one, you know, he was the design receiver, Dallas Goddard. He just didn't throw the ball for whatever reason. Uh, And he was wide open. I mean, wide open. I think he wanted more. He got a little bit greedy and he was looking to the second level. So we sort of cutting the field in half, which we talk about. He had a high and a low read. He was trying to get the football to the high read, which was not open. The low read was wide open um, and he didn't pull the trigger. Um, That kind of stuff is, more of a concern for me than the running. The running is just, as I said, it is. It, he makes things more difficult for the defense. And if you're saying, how do we stop the Philadelphia Eagles? You can talk about the, the potential of Devontae Smith. You can talk about the tight ends. You can talk about Miles Sanders. Right now, the most difficult part of stopping the Eagles offense is Jalen Hurts' legs. That's what you can't account for. And I hope they continue to do that. I'm not sure that the Dallas Cowboys are a defense that can, uh, even if they decide that that is their primary goal, I'm not sure that they've got the kind of players, specifically linebackers and safeties, that can uh, take away Jalen Hurts' ability to run. Uh, yes, the matchup versus the Cowboys is what we're talking about here this morning on Birds 365. Even though they don't play till Monday, we've kind of turned the page. 
We'll do that with our first guest, Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports Philadelphia, scheduled to join us next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go for the steaks and the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, this, this. And that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Mac and Mac guides on Birds 365. It's Dallas week. Is it something we should be getting excited about? Is it something we can get excited about? As I said in the opening segment, the rivalry is kind of historical more than it is current. We'll see if I'm understating it or not. With our next guest, he does a great job covering the Birds day in and day out for NBC Sports Philly. Dave Zangaro joins us here on Birds 365. How are you, Dave? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing well, Dave. Good to see you. I see Dave all the time, though. But, you know, it's been a couple of days, so it's exciting. And, and we'll get back to work on Thursday. A little bit of a weird week. But 
I, I guess I want to start with the quarterback, Dave, because it's so interesting. The numbers are great. I mean, uh, the passer rating, uh, the completion percentage, no turnovers, leads the team in rushing. The Eagles are number two in the NFL in rushing. All of these things look phenomenal. Pro football focus, if you want to go for the advanced stuff, has Jalen Hurts, I think, number two. Then I look at those pass charts from from next-gen stats. They look like they're sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. There's a big hole in the middle of the field. My question to you, Dave, is, is, is Nick Sirianni protecting Jalen Hurts? And if he is, is that what the Eagles really want? Because isn't this season about finding out what you have in Jalen Hurts? Yeah, it's interesting. And you're right. I mean, those those charts are pretty shocking. Everything outside the hash marks, really. Um, and you can find reasons in the, in the individual games. And Sirianni kind of talked about it a little bit, um, saying it was matchup driven. And you can see a little bit of that. I guess if you look, especially in last week's game against the 49ers, when you have Fred Warner in the middle of the field, probably wise to avoid it a little bit. Maybe not to that extent, um, (laughs) not throw anything in the middle of the field. Look, the one thing I want to see with Jalen Hurts is I want to see him throw with anticipation and, and lead his receivers. And a lot of that stuff is in the middle of the field. So whether it's hitting a guy up the seam or it's a crosser. Um, I want to see some of it. And, and I think we, we're going to have to eventually because other NFL teams see those charts too, and, and they're going to start taking it away. In the 49ers game, it made sense because you have Fred Warner in the middle of the field. You have banged up cornerbacks on the outside. So I'd probably try to attack those spots too. Uh, it can't continue like that uh, because defenses see it and they're going to start clamping down. So the, the next step is going to be, yeah, he's going to have to throw in the middle of the field at times. Uh, but, look, I don't want to take away from what he's done so far. He's, he's had a pretty decent start to this season. Um, the, there were a few missed throws for sure in the last game. And if he hits one of those deep balls, it might be a different game. So uh, you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, oh, he missed a couple of deep balls and it happens. Or you can say one of those deep balls – if he hits it, you know, especially the Devontae Smith one, he throws that a second earlier. That's a touchdown. That game might flip. So um, there's been encouraging signs from Jalen Hurts. We need to see more. Dave, uh, John just conjectured that it's uh, play calling. It's the decision on a coaching staff. What is or isn't the priority on every step of the game? And they are uh, making a decision to not use the middle of the field which is probably accurate. But let me give you a second possibility that Eagle fans aren't going to want to hear, but middle of the field a lot of times is tight end territory. And Eagles have two guys who have proven in their NFL career that they can get open, they can make the catch, they can get positive yardage in both uh, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Between the two of them, three catches last week with no breakaway catches, no game-breaking type catches. And over the course of the first two games, neither one of them has really stood out. Is it the fact that the Eagles are not looking to get the ball to the tight ends or the tight ends not getting open the way that they have in years gone by? I I don't know if it's a second option. I I don't know if there's anything that's happened. You can say that maybe Zach Ertz, you can look at, 
last year and say, well, maybe he's not the same player. But Dallas Goddard, I mean, he's going to get open. So I, I think it's just a matter of figuring out the game plan and, and game planning for those two players. We've seen them in some 12 personnel. They're going to be forced into it. We've joked about that before that, yeah, of course, they're going to have to be in 12 because they have two really good tight ends. Um, yeah, it's the the numbers are, are a little troubling, especially in the last game. You look at it and you go, man, they, it was almost like they weren't on the field. But um, I'm not – honestly, I'm not too worried about the production, for, at least for Dallas Goddard. If you want to look at it for Zach Ertz and, and wonder, like, has he lost a step? Is he the same player? That's fair, I, I based on last season. But with Dallas Goddard, I, I'm pretty convinced his production is going to come. Yeah, you know, Dave, Nick always talks about this fine line between uh, off-schedule offense and and throwing and getting the football out on time. There was one example with Dallas Goddard in the flat where they were sort of rolling Jalen Hurts out. The high-low really was a low-high read. Could have gotten the football out on time to Dallas Goddard. Probably would have been about a 10-yard gain. For whatever reason, he held on to it, tried to get the football down the field to Devontae Smith, who didn't win on his route. Is is that the stuff Nick is talking about? Like that you have to get out on time. Doug Peterson would used to call it, let the offense work for you, as opposed to always shooting for the big play, whether it's with the legs or trying to get the football down the field. Yeah, and that—I mean that—that's a good. That was third down too, right? I believe so. That that moves the chains, and you got to take the easy throw there. And I think you're right. I think he hesitated, and then that kind of sealed it up. And then he had to throw deep, and, and the hesitation can't be there from Hertz. That was the problem on on a couple of those deep balls too. You got to get the ball out of your hand. You got to, like I said, you got to throw with anticipation. You have to be ready to make those plays. Um, for the most part, though, I, I think he has done a fairly decent job of playing within himself and, and not, not always shooting for the big play. That was obviously a, a big problem with this team last year and another quarterback. So um, when you compare the two, I, I think Hurts has done a pretty good job of, of giving what the defense or taking what the defense gives him. Uh, there've been a few examples where he'll, he'll leave the pocket too early and look, I, I don't know if that ever goes away completely. I don't know if any, quarterback with his set of skills figures out the perfect science of when to stay in the pocket and when to escape. It's just about doing it the best you can consistently. Uh, but there have been times where he he's left the pocket too early and he's taken off too early. And then there've been other times where I've been impressed with how long he waits to, to run because he's looking downfield. And I think that's what you want. You want him to be pass first and then, the safety valve is always there and he's taken it a few times, but for the most part, he he's looked down the field to throw and that's a good sign from my perspective. And I went back and double checked it yesterday. The nine running plays that he had only one out of the nine. <laughs> could I actually say, well, he could have given it one more beat, take one more second, give the guy another couple of strides to get open. I thought he was very judicious with how he handled is running in the last game. All right, Dave, uh, you're good to answer this question. Much like John, we try and get Eagle Beat guys on. Brandon Graham being out of the lineup, done for the season. Uh, to a man, every player says it. You guys are around it so you know. How difficult is it going to be re- to replace Brandon Graham, the leader, as much as Brandon Graham, the football player, 
who's even capable of doing something like that for the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough loss, and it you watch it happen, and Brandon hasn't missed time, really, in forever, it seems like. He's, he's always healthy, so uh, it's an initial shock, and you're right. As the leadership standpoint of it is, it's going to be tough to not have him out there because he's he's he brings some energy, just natural energy. He's not forced. He's he's always got it with him. Uh, and look, they're not gonna replace that necessarily. You know, I think when Rodney comes back, that'll help a little bit there because Rodney is a high energy guy and, and he can lead the pregame huddles and the the post game. He can do all that stuff, and that'll help. And Brandon's going to be around in the in the building. I mean, that'll help as well. But it's we talk so much about Graham's leadership. I really don't want us to lose sight of the fact that he's their best edge player. And mm-hmm. you know, we, we can talk about them replacing the leadership. They got to figure out a way to replace him on the field. Um, because this is a guy who's thirty three and he's playing the best football of his life. And behind him now, they have to figure out what they're going to do because you, you're going to have either. Josh Sweat or Derek Barnett starting on on the right side of the defensive line. Who starts on the left side in Graham's spot? Is it they bump Ryan Kerrigan up? I wouldn't do that. I think you have to kind of limit his snaps, make him a rotational guy. So that means you're probably moving either Barnett or Sweat from the right side of the line to the left. That's something they have to figure out in practice this week. And then they had depth there, but they were using all their depth, right? They were rotating four deep. Now, is Teron Jackson the next guy up? Is he ready for a real role? Or is do you say, Milton Williams, guess what? Now you're going to bump outside more. So there are a lot of questions. I think there are more questions of how they're going to fill him or replace him on the field than there are off the field. Yeah, do you think, Dave, Milton Williams is interesting? Because the Eagles kind of behind the scenes brought up. He's got like a Grant, Brandon Graham-type body. They thought maybe he could be that type of player play inside, maybe go back, uh, uh, play outside, maybe go back inside in pass rushing situations, have some versatility. Does that speed up Milton Williams's importance to this defense? Does he have to get some reps at, at left end? Yeah, he probably does a little bit. I'll be honest with you. I still think his best spot is inside. I, I like what he can do from an interior pass rush position, because I think he has the ability and the athleticism to really beat guards in this league, but he does have the power to beat some tackles. And I think we'll see that. Um, yeah. I, he's an interesting guy. I was really surprised that really in training camp, I would say, gosh, what, like 70% end. Yeah. He, he was at. So, and that's just off the top of my head. I was surprised how much defensive end he played, for this team in training camp to the point where I was wondering if we're going to see him inside at all. And then the, the season starts and he's mostly inside. So um, he has those reps under his belt. And if Teron Jackson isn't ready to really contribute more than let's be honest, probably a handful of pass rush only snaps, then yeah, I think we're going to have to see Millen outside a little bit. Dave, it was a costly week for the Eagles on a couple of fronts. Number one, they lost the game. Number two, they lost Brandon Graham. Number three, they lost Brandon Brooks. And his replacement is sitting right there to be plugged in like he was last week. Corey Dickerson, the Eagles reached out, took him in the second round. Some people thought he would be a first-round talent if he had not been hurt. He's back from injury. He didn't get training camp in. They threw him into the deep end of the pool this week when Brooks went out. And he did not grade out well. Uh, kind of got pushed around in his first 
NFL start. Does one even long week because they don't play till Monday night uh, going to be able to make the difference that he's going to be able to get up to speed and not be a deterrent filling in for Brooks this week? Yeah, look, you're replacing Brandon Brooks, who's one of the best guards in the league when healthy. So it's not an easy task. And, and Leonard Dickerson, you're right. He didn't have a very good debut. It was, <laughs> it was rough. But, you know, honestly, I went back and watched and it wasn't as bad as I thought. From, from first watch that sure he gave up um, some ground in, in pass rush situations, but there were some, uh, when Nick Sirianni said he was encouraged, I was, I kind of tilted my head a little bit, but I went back and watched and I, I see what he was saying. There, there was some good and he's just so athletic. And I, I think that with a week of practice, he'll be much better in that spot, especially a week of practice next to Lane Johnson, next to Jason Kelsey. Uh, you have to remember too, he's missed a lot of time. He hasn't played mm-hmm game action real game action since the sec championship game he missed all the training camp he's been in practice now for a couple weeks so um i don't think it's necessarily shocking that that he struggled a little bit in his nfl debut um I, I, nick sirianni said they're leaving it open i i couldn't imagine them going with nate herbig if, if there was ever a spot to go with nate herbig it would have been in that game when you could have cited all those reasons i said but now that you have a full week of preparation and you know that Brandon Brooks is out, yeah, this is this is going to be fun to watch how Landon Dickerson responds. And however long Brooks is out, it's almost like a trial run for Dickerson because they haven't really committed on a position for him yet. He can play center. He he That was his first reps when he got back to practice. He was snapping the ball, and he can play guard. He probably has more of the, the body build of a guard, so – over the next month or so, let's see how he does at the guard position. And, and it might give us a hint of where they want to play him in the future. Yeah, that was my question, Dave, because Landon's first full practice was last week. I mean, that was the first time he he practiced in full. And all of a sudden, the worst case scenario happens for the Eagles. He's got to be thrown into the deep end of the pool. As you mentioned, he tore his ACL, I think it was December 19th. So we're right at that nine-month period probably would have been the more prudent way in that game to go with Nate Herbig. So with a week to think about it, Jeff Stoutland, you don't think there's any chance they slow things down to Landon Dickerson? Look, we know he's the future. But for this potential, let's get him a couple weeks of practice, full practice. Let's slow him down a little bit. We saw what Nate Herbig could do. You don't think that's even – going to be on the table for the Eagles this Monday night? No, nah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think so. They, they went with Landon Dickerson in practice when Brooks was missing time last week. And like I said, if, if they were going to go with Herbig, the time to do it would have been in that game. Um, the I think the way they're viewing it from a few different lenses. One, I think it's probably fair to say Dickerson, even though he's raw and, and he doesn't have the experience, he's probably just a better player than oh, Nate yeah. Herbig. And that's not a shot at Herbig. I mean, he, he is what he is, and he's he's worked really hard to improve, but Dickerson's better, right? He better be better. Uh, and the other part is that this season is all about development, and it's all about you know trying to win now, of course, but developing for the future. So I just can't see them missing this opportunity to get Dickerson valuable playing time, uh, not just for him, but for the team to evaluate him. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd be pretty shocked if Herbig's out there. 
Dave, I'm going to make you reach into your magic bag of tricks for your sources. And if not, I'm going to uh, ask you to lend an opinion. Um, John just stated, he said it with me before you came on, said it again, since you joined us. Eagles second in the National Football League in rushing after two weeks. Mm, they trailed the Baltimore Ravens. So what's the common denominator there? A quarterback who can run. You want to lead the league in rushing? Get yourself a Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts. You lead the league in rushing. Um, however, we found out after the fact when the Super Bowl winning coach was let go that he used to have to be called into meetings with the owner after the fact. And the oftentimes conversation was, why don't we throw the football more? How are we not throwing the football more? The NFL is all about throwing the football. Doug, what are you calling? Has the new coach had that conversation yet two games in? Because they're running the football effectively. But if you're running it, you're not throwing it. And uh, at least reportedly, the owner likes to throw the ball all over the lot. How do you think Nick Sirianni's uh, conferences are going, gatherings are going with his bosses these days? Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know that. But what I do know is that Jeff Lurie likes to be on the cutting edge of the NFL, right? That's his thing is he wants to be not just in the wave of the trend. He wants to be ahead of it. So, yeah, that's the way the league has gone. It's a passing league. Um, I, I think there's probably a little grace period for her head coach in his first two games with with the owner at least. Um, yeah, I, I think Jeff probably prefers to pass more, but a lot of those rushing stats are because the quarterback takes off and those are pass plays that, that are called. Um, I, I think that Jeff probably has to have an understanding here that this is the offense they're going to run with Jalen Hurts, right? He, Miles Sanders alluded to it after the win a couple weeks ago that every play is a, a run. Not necessarily, yeah. <laughs> but there, there are options yeah. on these plays and that's the way this is designed. We're going to see a lot of, you know, plays that can be checked to runs and and we're going to see it. I, if they want Jalen Hurts to play to his max potential, I think this is the type of offense you're going to need. And if Laurie doesn't understand that, then they're going to have to get a new quarterback. You know, that's it's it's kind yeah. of the deal with with Jalen Hurts and, and what he can do. And if it's going to be a, an option-heavy offense, if it's going to be an RPO-heavy offense, which at times it's going to need to be, then they're going to run the ball. You know, it's it's the only way to do it. Well, I didn't want to get here, but we got here, Dave. And it's only two weeks, and I think it's incredibly unfair. But you bring up a good point in the fact that if the Eagles want Jalen Hurts to succeed, they have to build this offense a certain way. And Jeffrey Lurie doesn't likely doesn't want to build the offense that certain way as you mentioned he likes to be on the cutting edge of the nfl he wants he talks about a high-powered passing game you have to have it i talked about this a lot in the offseason i probably asked you this question in the offseason is there anything jalen hurst can do to win over jeffrey Lurie, or does he want a completely different type of offense different type of quarterback who can sling the football all over the place. Yeah, you know, I will say that as much as we know Jeffrey likes to throw the football, the Eagles did bring in Rich Scangarello last year. If we're looking for hints about the way the the franchise might view offense, you know, then that, that's not necessarily a hire that goes with chucking the ball all over the yard, right? Um, 
So play I, action, the, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Yeah. So the, there's a yeah. Thank you. So there's a little bit of. Um, I think there's some of that, but if if they prove that, you know, if if Sirianni has a chance to prove that this offense can win, and and Hertz can be, what a top. 10, 12 quarterback in the league with this offense, it's going to make the decision a lot tougher. And maybe ultimately it's always in the back of Jeffrey's mind that this isn't exactly what I want, but winning solves a lot of problems. <laughs> That's so, true. You know, if, if, if it looks like this can work long-term and that's the key. And we talked so much about this, that this is the year to find out what Jalen hurts is. And if he's the future, and I, I will actually want to get your guys' take on this because I'm of the belief that there's no guarantee they know at the end of this year. And I've talked to some people who think that they, they're going to know one way or the other. It's going to be like either he is a guy or he's not the guy. I think there's a real chance, and the first two weeks of the season are kind of showing this to me, that they might end up in this weird middle ground where they're going to have a really tough decision to make. Yeah. Oh, oh I absolutely agree with you that that's a possibility. But here's what that they'll talk themselves into it one way or the other. Dave Zingaro, oh, Jody yeah. McDonald, John McMullen might not agree that it's clear cut. Oh, the Eagles will talk themselves <laughs> into the fact that it's clear cut, that he's the man or he's not the guy. We have to go another the direction that they won't find themselves in the middle. Maybe they should, but they won't. They'll they'll make a definitive call on that. I can guarantee you that. All right, Dave, uh, it is Cowboy Week. They've got Dallas coming up on Monday night. Um is there added pressure to this game, the level of rivalry uh, aside, because they play the Cowboys here and then they don't play a divisional rival again for three months. It's either till the end of the season, five of their last six games are in division games, which of course are the most important. You've got this one kind of standalone division game early against Dallas. Does that add to the pressure of the Cowboy Eagle matchup? Yeah, I mean, it's a division game, and it is Monday Night Football, and that might not mean a lot for the veterans, but if you're a young player and you're playing your first primetime game, that there is a little added to it. Uh, yeah, it, it means more, and it means more for the Eagles coming off a game where they really should have won, and the tough part of the schedule is coming up. I know that they're, they're laser-focused, they're one week at a time, but they know the games coming are pretty tough. You know, you have some some really good teams in the next month or so. So this is a winnable game in Dallas. It's a tough game. Don't get me wrong. It, it's tough to go down there and win. But, yeah, I think there is added pressure to this game. I don't think there's any way around it. Dave, last one from me, and make sure you read Dave's work at NBC Sports Philadelphia. It does a tremendous job covering this team on a daily basis. You mentioned a couple times and I agree with you, this season should be about the Eagles finding out what they have in certain players, most notably Jalen Hurts, but you mentioned Landon Dickerson as well. We heard that phrase transition from Jeffrey Lurie. My question to you is, does Nick Sirianni know that? I mean, there's sort of this disconnect. Every head coach in this league, what's Nick Sirianni's job? To win Monday in Dallas. How, how do you serve those two masters? Yeah, it's it's uh, inherent for head coaches to just – they have to try to win the game. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that battle. But the good news here is that there aren't many natural um, battles there between – like there's no 
if you want to say Nate Herbig should start because he's, but you could say Landon Dickerson's a better player, or you know your your developmental quarterback is the starter. So it's not like yeah. there, there aren't many natural uh, battles there where where you have to. Well, I guess for, my I, I I guess my I would go back to masking the deficiencies of the quarterback. Is that you know is it more important to scheme up Jalen Hurts? from where we started keeping away from the middle of the field as an example, or is it more important to figure out what you have in the quarterback and how do you serve those two masters as the head coach? Yeah. If you're the head coach, you got to scheme it up to try to win the game. So if that means masking deficiencies or they wouldn't put it that that way, they'd put yeah. uh, utilizing his strengths, right? Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. how they would say the same thing. But um, yeah, I mean, head coach has to try to win the game. And he has to try to help the quarterback in whatever way he can. And then I think, but then the scouting side of it, when they do look back at this, they have to be realistic about it um, and see what they saw. But look, they can't go a whole season without throwing in the middle of the field. So I think a lot of these problems that we're talking about now aren't going to be problems in two months. So they can't go a whole season without throwing <laughs> in the middle of the field. So eventually we're going to find out if Hurts can complete those passes. And um, I don't think it'll be too big of an issue. You also want to check out the Eagle Eye podcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia for great analysis, great opinion, and at times great hairstyles from Ruben Frank. That's <laughs> why I tune in more than anything else to see what Ruben Sherry is going to look like. As you can see here between me, Dave, and John, there's not much choice. Ruben, <laughs> it still does fluctuate from podcast to podcast. All right, uh, last thing, Dave. Who did the Eagles have to stop on the ground here? We were talking about Jalen Hurts' ability to make plays. That can take off, but he's not going to do that um, with the injuries he's had. He's going to either throw the ball away or he's going to get out on time. No, I'm talking about their two running backs, Tony Pollard, who I watched that Cowboy game after the Eagle game was over the other day, made some big plays. They got Ezekiel Elliott, who's more reputation than he actually is production. Who's the guy who the Eagles are going to have to stop on Sunday carrying the football for Dallas? Yeah. Pollard's been their better running back for a while now, honestly. it's uh, I, I still think Zeke has talent. I just don't know how much he has left. They've really run him into the ground down there, and – uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> Pollard's a better player right now. He just is. And that's, it might seem shocking. And that's not to say Zeke can't do some good things still. And I, he still has the ability out of the backfield and all that. But this is what we see with running backs in this league. They, they take a huge workload in their first few years and, and then they're never the same. And, uh, the, the, we've seen the decline from Zeke getting to watch him two times a year and, even from watching him from afar, it's it's been precipitous. And, uh, yeah, he's not the same player he once was. That's why what Derrick Henry is doing in Tennessee is remarkable because he doesn't drop off. He just continues to put up 150, 170-yard games year after year after year after year. Dave, great stuff. We appreciate it greatly whenever you come on, specifically this morning. Thanks, pal. Thanks, guys. Take care. That is Dave Zingaro from NBC Sports. Philadelphia. Do check out the Eagle Eye podcast on NBC Sports Philly as well. All right, John McMullen, Jody McDonald. We are known as Mac and Mac. We're known as Birds 365. We're right back at you in just a couple of minutes. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. 
Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go for the steaks. And the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Yo, okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at MessaLaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jordan McMullen here with Young Birds 365. A tip of the cap to Dave Gibson-Garrow for hopping on with us and giving us some good insight whenever he hops on board. He does just that. Uh, Johnny Mac, we didn't touch on this at the top and didn't bring it up with Dave. The reason for it, the Eagles did some roster juggling yesterday. Uh, it's not going to have an impact on this upcoming game against Dallas. Just uh, my belief. Tell me if I'm wrong if you think. Jack Anderson is actually going to step in and get some action against the Cowboys this week. I find that highly unlikely since they just put the claim in for him off Buffalo's practice squad yesterday. But uh, you knew there was going to be some roster juggling with the injuries that the Eagles suffered this past week against San Francisco. Um, if you can get a guy that you really liked at the draft, I went back and checked it out. Our buddy Rick Saratel from NFL Draft Bible had Anderson as a sixth-round draft pick rated 
He didn't go to the seventh in Buffalo. And if the Eagles like this guy and they got a roster spot, more power to them if their scouting gets it right. Maybe they uh, pick up a nice player, helps them down the road. It's going to be weeks before anything, even if there are other injuries before they can get this guy into a game, right? Yeah, no question. It was a little bit interesting to me. I was a little bit surprised, though. You're probably right. They look. They most likely were looking at him in the draft, liked him in the draft process. But when you sign somebody off somebody else's practice squad, you're essentially guaranteeing them three weeks on your 53-man roster. So from that perspective, I was a little bit surprised only because the Eagles had Sua Opeta on their practice squad. They could have elevated um, him. He's played a little bit in the past, not all that well. They had. Uh, they also have Coyote Awasiku, who's an undrafted rookie free agent they seem to really like. So it indicates – they like him as a player. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's more of a long-term thing. You want to get him into the program. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised. They went outside the organization. We all know Jeff Stoutland, his reputation uh, for developing players that have people in house. Uh, so they must really, really like the kid that that's, you know, my biggest indication from that. Uh, and then Richard Rogers, they also brought back to the practice squad, uh, which is more insurance in case Zach Ertz can't get on the COVID list for Monday, can't get off the COVID list for Monday night in Dallas. They can elevate him for the game. And they still have two open roster spots. Now, Ertz is one of those. Um, and obviously, they lost Brandon Graham. They worked out three players yesterday, was able to find out Cameron Malvo, who's the defensive end. That's probably the name to keep an eye on. Uh, Deion Kane, who's a wide receiver, Dylan Cole, who's a linebacker. Remember, Tuesdays in the NFL are typically when you work out players for a couple reasons. One, you might need injury replacements. Uh, two, you want to get a dossier, so to speak, on certain players if you need certain players at certain positions down the road. So defensive end, they need a defensive end. They have an open spot. So keep an eye on Malvo, I would say, of those three. Now, let me ask you about this, John. I should know this. I don't, so shame on me. I uh, hope you do. Those three players that they worked out yesterday, did the Eagles pay for them to come to town? Do they pay for their hotel? I know they're not allowed to pay them because yeah. there are cap yeah. restrictions in place that don't allow it, but are they allowed to pick up all the expenses of any of the players that they bring in yeah. uh, to have a tryout? Yeah, nobody's got to go on their own dime in the NFL. Those guys, you know, and, and a lot, you'll see it, you know, if the NFL has its transaction wire, their their internal wire uh, is a little bit different than their external one. I don't believe they put the tryouts on the external wire, uh, but they do put it on the internal one. So you'll see on Tuesdays, you'll see guys working out all over the league. Um, yeah, they get. Uh, they get their trans paid for it. Nobody's got to go on their own dime. Otherwise, you'd see a lot less <laughs> tryouts. But they could afford it. Usually, uh, well, the, the 
certainly the teams can, but some of the players can too, because uh, their agents want to try and get them on teams, and the agents might pick up that there. But uh, it was, as I thought, the uh, teams are the ones who pay for it. Um, the other thing the Eagles announced yesterday was their practice squad protections. As you mentioned, Sue Opeta, who still might very well be on the 53. Don't know if he'll be active, but he might be elevated uh, between now and Monday night. Uh, Marvin Wilson on the DT and a couple of D-backs and Craig James and Elijah Riley. Do we read into any of these? Does this again make you question? And I don't think we'll know till Monday whether Rodney McLeod is going to be back and active and ready. You guys will get a little bit of a glimpse at practice as to how involved he is. Can we read the tea leaves a little bit here that it looks like it's going to be the full three weeks that uh, Rodney McLeod's going to be out before the season gets underway for him? Well, like I said with Rodney, um, really it's not the three weeks. It's it's the five weeks uh, because if he would have stayed on the pup list, he would have been out right. for the and, six, and, for six uh, I Sorry to interrupt you again. I throw the flag on that. That's the baloney flag. If the Eagles wanted to, they could have found a way around that. Uh, they, they would not be the first team to quote-unquote cheat the injury list by creating a different injury that he could have been back from after three weeks. We all know what his injury is. We all know what the teams do this all the time. They're not going to get fined. Nobody's going to come in and hit him over the head with a hammer. Oh, no, no, you you misused the injury list for uh, Rodney McLeod. He could have been out three weeks, and they could have brought him back if they wanted to put him on short-term IR at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you there. The NFL okay. really clamped down on that. Remember a couple of years ago um, when Bill Belichick put like 30 people on the injury list uh, because he got in a little bit of trouble, so anybody who had a stub toe or, you know, got their – finger caught in the door or something. He was putting everybody right. on there. there. There's John, there's a difference between your announced injuries and your official IR list that is part of your roster. Yeah, Belichick, anybody who had a uniform got listed in some way, way shape, or form on the injury list, but that's different than the actual injured reserve that we're talking about here with Rodney McLeod. Yeah, but my, my point is it's actually more difficult when you put people on injured reserve because you have to have documentation of the injury, obviously. And there's, there's players association you got to deal with. Um, there's, there's doctors who, you know, you got to convince to be James Woods and uh, Oliver Stone movie. And, you know, they don't necessarily like to, to lie about those types of things. Okay. So I do think it, it, it doesn't, it, you, you can look around the league, you won't find an example of it. Um, it, if they did, they didn't put him on the pup list indicated they thought he'd be back before essentially week seven, that's six games. Now you're right in, in the fact that once he's on the 53, you can go on the injured reserve, but you can't go on the injured reserve for your knee injury that everybody knows you're injured. So right off the bat, that's a flag to the league office that says, well, what the hell, what happened to Rodney? You know, and and you're going to get questioned about it. So it, it's it's probably not worth going down that road, uh, even if you want to game the system, even if you could game the system. It's probably not worth it. But the larger point is, 
the fact that they kept him on the 53 is an indication about the six games, not the three games. That 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 is my larger point. And, you know, Rob Motti we had on last week got to talk to, to Rodney. I've seen Rodney. I, I would say this week is still a little bit iffy, but we'll get a better indication tomorrow. I, I would say week four, week five is the wheelhouse. We shall see if they get him back in. And they not only need him for his uh, skills at uh, his safety position, but also a little bit on the leadership front with Brandon uh, Graham going out on the defensive line. Uh, let's stay with the defense. Uh, we touched on this uh, earlier in the week, but uh, it bears repeating. Um, those core values that Jonathan Gannon has on defense, the hits, the hits just keep on coming, Johnny Mac. <laughs> the problem is that the turnovers haven't kept on coming because they're 0 for 2 in games with turnovers so far this year. And I appreciated his enthusiasm. And I surely think if you continue to repeat stuff like that, it does stay in the players' heads. But I've been saying this for as long as I've been covering the National Football League. You can't coach turnovers. You can't game plan turnovers. Turnovers are happenstance. Turnovers are part of the game. Turnovers happen when they happen, and you can't say, well, we're going to get two turnovers before the game starts because you never know you can do that. And if this year's Philadelphia Eagles, with as much as they emphasize turnovers and the ability to strip the ball and our core values, and they have zippity-doo-dah after two games, kind of proves my point. You can't, you can't just say, we're going to get them to turn the ball over before a football game starts. No, you, you you can't. And, you know, there are certain guys, you know, Charles Tillman, probably the most famous for punching the football out. Marlon Humphrey now. Uh, there are certain guys that have a knack for it. Um, and But you still can't game plan it. You can't, still can't accept, oh, we have Marlon Humphrey. We're going to knock the football out. It just tends to happen a little bit more. But here's the thing, man. I can't, you know, again, and we say this, small sample size. The Eagles have the number four defense in the NFL through two games. Number two in points per game, points allowed. Uh, number three in pass defense. Number five in third down defense. I, I, I can't complain about Jonathan Gannon right now. I can't imagine that keeps up either. So at some point, uh, they're going to have to turn the football over, uh, you know, but that's been the Eagles through two games. Yeah, they haven't gotten turnovers, but they haven't turned the football over. So they're right smack dab plus minus is zero because nothing has gone either way. Um, you, you'd like to get turnovers, but I'd rather have the, the, the fourth-ranked defense. I'd rather have the second-ranked scoring defense if that was my trade-off, more turnovers but uh, a, a worse defense, I'm, I'm going to take the better defense. And, and by the way, man, with that back seven, I'm astonished that they are even understanding the small sample size. I got to give that guy a lot of credit. Uh, agreed. Those numbers kind of jump off uh, the page at you and uh, give tip of the hat to the Eagle defense and specifically Jonathan Cannon for in that small sample size being able to put those numbers up. Would you agree that they're facing the best offense they've faced so far this week against the Dallas Cowboys offense? 
Oh, by far. And that's where we start. I mean, and and look what's coming up in Kansas City and Tampa Bay. I mean, those numbers are not going Get, to stay. Getting there. into the deeper end of the pool, yeah. are they, John? Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Atlanta is, you know, they did a better job against Tampa Bay. So you do have to give the Eagles some credit. San Francisco scored a lot of points against Detroit. So both teams they have played, I've struggled with the Eagles defense more than their other opponent. So that part of it's a positive. But yeah, I mean, Dallas has a, has a really good offense and, and, and they probably are coming up. They have two teams in the near future that have even better offenses, if anything. So yeah, it's not getting easier in the short term. The Cowboys' strength for me, and we had when we had Dave Zingaro on, we talked about the running game. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott got the big contract year before last. Uh, unfortunately, I think you see that Zeke isn't the player. You're already seeing the tail off of his career. And doesn't it seem like he was just uh, picked out of Ohio State coming out of the draft a couple of years? They age so quickly at the running back spot in the NFL. But Tony Pollard has picked up right where Zach has left off. But the Cowboys' strength is still passing the football, uh, and Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb are their top two wide receivers. I think both Stephen Nelson and Darius Slate played very well the first two weeks of the season. They're going to be tested this week, J-Mac, because these are better receivers than what either of the past two teams threw at them. Yeah, and they get a little break. Michael Gallup obviously isn't going to, to play, but um... – Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Cedric Wilson's uh, a pretty good receiver as well. Still, um, yeah, it's a difficult group. You know, it's like a lot of young receivers, um, probably more drops than you would like with C.D. Lamb. Uh, but, man, the explosiveness, the big plays down the field, uh, he's going to make up for that. Um, they have two tight ends who – you know, aren't explosive, but they can catch the ball as well. And Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. So, um, yeah, they're pretty good offensively. The, the, you're probably going to have to score some points to beat the Cowboys. And the good news is their defense will allow you to score some points. I don't know what the Eagles are offensively yet. So I don't know how – I don't. can they win – I've been talking about it a long time now, Jody. Can they win a, a 35-30 game? I don't know. I don't I I don't know. I throw that question back at you. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't see this team winning shootouts at this stage. Generally speaking, I think you're right. Now this given week, you might have to put up 30 plus points to win because the Cowboys might be able to get 30 themselves. Their offense is what it is, and I think it's pretty good, even though the Eagle defense has gotten off to as good a start as it has. Yeah, I think their wide receivers are going to make plays. Yeah, I think Pollard will probably have a pretty good game uh, running the football. So uh, we'll find out. The Eagles did put up 30 points week one, did they not? After not putting up 30 all year long, they did week one. So they might have to do that against the Cowboys this week. All right, uh, one more thing before we step aside. Mike Sealski, uh, columnist for the Inquirer, is going to hop aboard with us here on Birds 365. Um Last week, you were down at the game, Lincoln Financial Field. Sounded like on TV that it was rocking pretty good, that Eagles fans were back in en masse, packing the stadium, getting into the game. 
unfortunately, with the Eagles having a field goal block and not being able to convert on first and goal from the one-yard line, it kind of sucks some of the air out of the crowd. But opening kickoff, it certainly was there loud and proud were Eagle fans. Dallas has an even bigger stadium, and you've been in it. Some stadiums play louder than others. This one is quasi-enclosed. It sounds like it keeps the uh, noise in pretty damn well. Um, it doesn't have the old roof in the middle, which yeah. I used to love about the Cowboy Stadium. It's an actual dome these days. What's it like for an opposing team going into Jerry's Palace in uh, Palace in Dallas? I don't think you, you never hear people talk about Dallas when you talk about great home field advantages. You hear Seattle, most notably, probably number one, uh, Kansas City. You hear Philadelphia. You hear New Orleans. You hear uh, you hear Minnesota. Um, I think it's too big. I think it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, it's majestic. I, in a lot of ways, I think it's too big and I don't think they have the home field advantage that certain other teams have. Um, Eagles being one of them. Um, I just think it's, 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 they went too far with it and a little more, uh, intimateness uh, with people on top of it. That's when it becomes really difficult. Um, and you know, everybody talks about the indoor stadiums and I just named two of them, New Orleans, uh, certainly, uh, and, and, and Minnesota, but the outdoor ones with Seattle and, and Kansas city, most notable, I mean, in Philadelphia, I would throw a little bit behind those two, but those those places can be intimidating. I don't I don't sense Dallas as being intimidating. But you know, so much of that is tied to the team, Jody. If if you're bad, doesn't matter what your home field advantage is. You're bad. Uh, home field advantages are when you're good, and the fans are obviously excited because you are good, and that's what it amps up. The Cowboys haven't been they haven't been bad but they've just been eh, for, for a number of years now. If the Eagles find a way to win against the uh, Falcon, uh, excuse me, the Cowboys on Sunday, they'll be undefeated in domes this year, John. They've already got a dome win week one in the NFL. Unfortunately, they'll be winless outdoors, a.k.a. Yeah. like a financial field. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Atlanta – in theory, would be one of those indoor stadiums, but nobody, you know, there's 10,000 empty seats. Nobody cares. They're not very good. And you don't have a home field advantage. We'll see if the Cowboys have a home field advantage. History since they moved into the building, as beautiful as John describes it as, it hasn't really portrayed itself with the Cowboys having a major advantage. And I don't know if I've ever heard a player say, a visiting players, damn, that was a tough place to play. They just made our life a living hell, our inability to audible and scream. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it. I don't, nor do I, I, nor yeah. do I. So even though it's an indoor stadium, I don't know that that's a big hurdle that the Eagles have to overcome. All right, he's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. I've got a second good guest coming up. We thank Jay Zingaro for hopping on board. Uh, we're going to get Mike Sealski up here next. As uh, good a column as there is. 
in the Philadelphia area and has been for years. Uh, we'll get Mike's take on the birds, not only what they've done so far in the first couple of games, not only what they will do next Monday night, this upcoming Monday night against the Cowboys, but yeah, Mike's got a good grasp on it as well as to where the Eagles are headed going forward with the quarterback. John and I have been kicking her around on a weekly basis since Carson Wentz. So we started birds 365 and Carson Wentz found himself out of time. What is Jalen Hurts' future with the Philadelphia Eagles? It's a uh, great conversation to have. And we'll have with Mike Sielski of the Inquirer. He joins us next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go for the steaks. And the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, this, this. And that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Appreciate you tuning in to Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald hanging with you. Oh, we've got a special guest joining us for my money. The number one columnist here in Philadelphia. 
opinion generator, and all-around good dude. Mike Sealski here with us on Birds 365. How are you, MS? I'm great after that introduction, Jody. Thanks. Yeah, that was tremendous. Now, Mike, I like when Mike steps in it. Mike stepped in it with the fan base this week when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles. I love that because I get plenty of crap for that as well. But um, uh, Nick Sirianni's play calling, obviously, the Philly unspecial, whatever you want to call it. You get a 91-yard splash play that Quez Watkins, you can't finish. I called it pandering. You called it a little bit of, of arrogance, whatever you want to call it. Um, rookie mistake? Does he learn from it? Is it a bigger deal than just um, maybe kind of placating the fans in the moment? I think a little bit of all the above, John. Um, the reason I called the play calling down there arrogant was because it struck me that Sirianni uh, comes from this generation of newer NFL coaches who want to show you how smart they are by scheming their teams into the end zone. Um, it's not enough just to hand the ball off or have a quarterback sneak and have your offensive line take care of matters. You have to show that you got your team the touchdown. And it's a style that anybody who's been around the Eagles for a while knows. Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman really like too, right? So the pandering question, while – the idea of calling the Philly special was kind of, I think, pandering to the fans and a little insecurity on Nick's part. I do also think that there's that's kind of an inherently arrogant approach to take in calling plays. And I think that, um, it, you know, will he learn from it? I hope he does. He seems like so far the kind of coach who would learn from his mistakes. Um, so let's see. But, yeah, I think it's going to be costly. I mean, they had a chance to go 2-0, and and they probably could have, certainly could have and should have, gone 2-0 and and beating the 49ers, and that sequence cost them a game. So does it hurt Sirianni in the long run? Not if he learns from it, which I think he will. Does it hurt the Eagles in the short run? Yeah, it does. It costs them a victory. And in this division, that could be the difference between, you know, maybe winning the division and losing it. And here's why the not-so-Philly special bothered me, more so than John's slant of pandering, your slant of arrogance. The play sucked. <laughs> there, there was one option. You give it to Greg Ward. You've got a quarterback slash running back trying to become a wide receiver, which he's never done before. And he's the only guy who runs a lousy pattern. And there's no other option on the play. There's no receiver sneaking into the back just in case if you got to throw the ball away, which, by the way, Greg Ward, who, if you watch the show, you know he's my guy who's done nothing so far this year. At least pull it down and run. Will Chamberlain couldn't have caught the pass that he tried to throw to Jalen Hurts. Uh, that bothers me more than all the other behind-the-scenes thinking. The play itself sucked. It was a bad call. They weren't close, and that bothers me. Nick Sirianni, if you learn anything, don't call that play again because design and everything else was terrible on that play. Yeah, and I'll point this out too, Jody. And John would know this probably better than I do did because he's there in the press box tracking every single play. I think that was the first time Greg Ward was on the field in the game. Yeah. John, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a dead giveaway. Well, <laughs> I think foot, right. You know, it's funny you say that Mike, because I was sitting next to Bob Groats, unfortunately in the press box, <laughs> I saw Greg Ward. <laughs> come on the field. Yeah. 
I saw Greg Ward come on the field, step, look back at the coach, and I said, Bob, Greg Ward's throwing this pass. If I, if I could see it, I think Kyle Shanahan and his coaching staff probably could have seen it. Yeah, yeah it was, and, it was and to the point – and to John's point and your point, Jody, about pandering, uh, that was the one thing I wanted to say was if, if Sirianni was pandering to anybody, yeah, it might have been the fans, but it was probably more to Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman in, in what That's he fair. was trying to do at the goal line there. Uh, you know, Jimmy Kemsky at Philly Voice has pointed this out. I said something similar in my column. Just have Jalen Hurts, who is 6'1", 223 pounds, and squats 600 pounds, as we all know if you pay any attention yeah. to social media – have him sneak the ball four times. Sirianni's excuse after the game that, well, we were at the one-yard line, and I don't like to sneak from the one-yard line. <laughs> I, I like it to get a little closer. If you gain half a yard on the first sneak, a quarter of a yard on the second sneak, and a quarter of a yard on the third sneak, guess what? You have a touchdown. So just, Nick, just be, go simple sometimes. It's okay. You don't have to show everybody, including your bosses, how smart you are. Greg Ward, no. Uh, let me let me go back to that again, because uh, again, he's my guy, and I, yeah. I, I'm a Greg Ward fan too. I think his story is incredible. I think he's a good dude, you know. But fourth down, throwing the ball, eh, not so much. Right, yeah, I don't like. It. Um, I, and I did check this, and John would have a better knowledge of it because, like he said, he was there, maybe distracted by Bob Groats, but he was there just the same. Um, Ward was on the field for twelve offensive snaps on Sunday. That was in the uh, third quarter when they uh, had the uh, second late quarter. Second, quarter, second quarter, second quarter, late second quarter, yeah. inadverted. Uh, did he play uh, 10 other snaps in the second half? Was that just to justify the fact that Greg Ward got into that game and that he had dipped his hand, that it was going to be a not so special Philly special redux? Because he did actually use Greg Ward a lot in the second half. If up until that point, he had no snaps and he ended up with 12 for the game. Yeah, I, I don't know. Look, we're spending a lot of time on Greg Ward here, which is, <laughs> this is you know, probably more. Than, I mean, yeah, I not, like I said, good good guy, great story. Yeah. You know, really helped the Eagles out at the end of 2019 as a slot receiver. But Greg Ward wasn't necessarily the difference in them winning no, or losing that game, and and he's not going to be the difference if if things go the way the Eagles hope they're going to go. He's not going to be the difference between them being you know eight and nine or nine and eight or seven and 10 or 10 and seven, whatever they're going to be, um, you know, so let's just for the record. Yeah, and, 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 and just for Jody's clarification, they got behind. So they probably needed the extra receiver more in, right. in the second half when they were down by two scores. But Mike, let's talk about a guy who is important to this team in Jalen Hurts. I'm sure you've seen the past charts that have been all over, um, not throwing the football to the middle of the field. And we go all the way back. And I, I mentioned this earlier in the show. If you go back to Jeffrey Lurie firing Doug Peterson, he, he sort of gave this convoluted explanation of, well, Doug, we don't agree. This is a transition phase. He wants to win right now. Nick Sirianni's goal is to win right now. It's to beat Dallas on Monday night. The Eagles' long-term goal is a little bit counterintuitive to that, and they want to find out what they have in Jalen Hurts. As impressive as his numbers have been, and they're impressive. Rushing yards, passer rating, hasn't turned the football over. Do we really – can we get a feel for what he really is if you're going to keep the shrink wrap on him for certain aspects of his job description? 
not throwing the football over the middle of the field being the most notable. No, you're not. And I do think, John, I know you wrote about this at Philly Voice, you know, that that conflict that you're talking about, right? They've got to find out what they have in Hurts, but any coach is going to want to win week to week. So, you know, if Sirianni feels like Hurts has to be limited in what he can do and what he's willing to allow him to do, um, there, there is that conflict there. I, I would argue this. I would say that these two games have been more revealing about Jalen Hurts than you might think. Look at those deep throws, you know, he made Sunday against the 49ers. The, the two, what I would call kind of the couple of kind of intermediate deep throws that he made along the sideline, the one to Jalen Rager that should have been a touchdown if Rager hadn't stepped out of bounds, and the one to Quez Watkins that went 91 yards were both beautiful throws. The ones where he went really deep to Devontae Smith, I don't know if you watched his technique when he was throwing those, those passes or the ball after he let him let those go. He needed every he threw the first deep ball to Devontae Smith like I would have thrown it if I were trying to get the ball to Devontae Smith. Watch <laughs> his feet on that play. He literally puts his entire body into that throw. And guess what? It flutters at the end and he's and it ends up underthrown. And the same thing happened in a couple other instances where he tried to hit Smith deep. And I think what we're seeing here is a little bit of Sirianni kind of tipping his hand into what he thinks Hurts can do, and Hurts also kind of revealing his limitations a little bit. Look, you're right. The numbers have been excellent, and there are certain things that Jalen Hurts has done really well. He's escaped the pocket well. He's, he's thrown a couple of good passes on the move. I, I would argue he did miss Zach Ertz on that first uh, you know, on first down and goal from the one, I thought Ertz, Ertz flashed open a little bit and Hurts threw it behind him. A better throw maybe gets you a touchdown there. But it seems to me that I'm not sure Sirianni yet feels he can call the entire offense, including some of those throws in the middle of the field, because he feels like there are certain limitations on Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. Now, we'll see how that plays out over the course of the season, but I think the two games have been a little revealing in that regard. Mike... Uh... You mentioned a guy I wanted to ask you about, Zach Ertz. Um, at the end of last season, he had the uh, very emotional sitting on the sidelines, saying goodbye to Lincoln Financial Field, and everyone thought he's done. He'll never play another game here. As a matter of fact, some media members had him traded once, twice, three times over the last five, six months, and it never actually happened. I wasn't pointing to your finger. I, I was reacting and, to those reports. I, I but, think I wrote two or three columns like, well, if Zach Ertz gets traded, understand <laughs> this about him, and then he just never got traded. Never got traded. Still here. Um, and by the then, way, it, and by the way, Jason Kelsey thought he was going to get traded. Yes, That's true. why he's got yes. blonde. Everybody right. thought Zach yes. Ertz was going right, to get traded. Right, right. Well, it, Except for maybe me. Except but that's okay. Yeah. I'm not patting You're so oh, small for Jody. <laughs> hey, the blind squirrel finds the nut in the woods every once in a while. Uh, but back to Zach Ertz. Uh, it was amazing the way that it did go up and down and things change and perspective change. And uh, even to let they'll, they'll, they'll get the uh, draft pick they want. He's still going to be traded up until the last week of the preseason. And he's still here now three weeks in. He hasn't been a big piece of the offense, even though guys like John and the other guys at uh, camp say, man, he looks good. Man, he's making plays. Man, Sirianni's going to go to more 12 personnel than anyone thought because these are the two best receivers on the team as of right now. 
he really hadn't contributed all that much for varying reasons that you and John and I have all been discussing about their uh, unwillingness to let Jalen Hurts throw the ball down the middle of the field. Is Zach Kurtz at any point going to stand up and go, hey, what the hell? As long as I'm here, why don't you throw me the football? I'm a Pro Bowl tight end. I can still make these plays. Will that be an issue in the Eagle locker room via the media over the next two, three, four, five weeks? Well, I'll, I'll say this, Jody. I can remember in Carson Wentz's rookie season, um, this came up. They and, and it's ironic that we're talking about it now because it came up after the Eagles lost a game in Dallas, a night game. I forget if it was a Sunday night game, Monday night game, Thursday night game, but they lost in overtime. They blew a 10-point lead, lost in overtime, and Ertz to that point in the season, his numbers were way, way down, way down with, with Wentz in his first season. And he stood up after that game and said, you know, I can't catch what's not thrown to me, basically. And over the course of the rest of that season, his numbers ticked back up again at, to the point where, you know, the following season in 17 and 18, he had the two greatest seasons of his career. So I would say that let's see what happens over the course of the season, right? I think that, that we've all been kind of pleasantly surprised to a degree at the plays that Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins and even Jalen Rager have made on the outside, right? Like, Tons of question marks about those young receivers, and they've shown flashes they can really make plays. Um, now, you say that, and, of course, the Eagles wide receivers didn't catch a pass for the final 37 minutes of that game on yeah. Sunday, but it may just simply be a matter of defenses, you know, don't know what Sirianni's going to do yet in terms of his play calling. He's still unfamiliar to the league for the most part. And there he's, you know, Hertz right now is getting the ball when he's able to get it out to the guys on the outside and defenses will eventually adjust and maybe Goddard and Hertz start to get open more over the course of the season and Hertz starts to look at them. Um, we'll see, but that's what's happened in the past. And I don't think Zach is the kind of guy at, I don't think he's going to stand up yet and say, Hey, you know, I'm the greatest tight end in franchise history. Start throwing me the ball. That game that I referenced against Dallas was I think six, seven, eight weeks into the season. So let's give this a little bit of time before, you know, we have Zach Ertz standing on a soapbox saying, throw me the ball. And it might not be this week. Obviously, Zach right. has to get cleared uh, exactly. off the COVID list. for, And there's still a chance for that Monday night in Dallas because he is vaccinated. So he just needs to pass two tests 24 hours apart. So we'll see how that goes. But, Mike, you mentioned – um, the loss and, and the lost opportunities, it, it was a big loss. I think a lot of the players felt, Nick Sirianni certainly felt, we, we gave away a chance to go 2-0. and To me, though, the bigger loss is attrition showed up in the form of Brandon Graham um, gone for the season, and Brandon Brooks, actually a little bit of a good news, he's on injury reserve, not a season-ending injury. But when you lose players like that – especially with a rookie head coach trying to put his stamp on this team. Is that a bigger loss than just losing a game? You probably should have won. Yeah, it probably is John, especially with respect to, to Brandon Graham and the nature of the injury and the fact he's going for the season and the personality that he is. Um, you know, I, I wrote during the off season, there was some discussion as there always kind of is in situations like this about the Eagles rebuilding. Right. And, and my argument was in the NFL, you know, there really aren't that many true rebuilding programs, right? Like you're not going to do what the Sixers did in the NBA and tear it all down and build it back up. The Browns did that, but that's a rare exception. Um, and, and 
so there was value in, in bringing back Jason Kelsey and having Brandon Graham and, and these veteran guys where even if it's going to be a transition year, having those kind of guys in the locker room has value. It, they're professionals. They, they know how to do the job and there's, they can st- continue to play at a, at a pretty high level. So I think you're right. The fact that the Graham is gone, you know, a lot of those guys played, I think lip service is a tough term, but like, Oh, well, he'll still be, he'll still be around in the locker room. And, and Brandon posted about that on Twitter, man, in the NFL, if you are out for the season yeah. with an injury, you are out for the season. You are almost like a non-person in a lot of ways. And it's going to be really difficult for Brandon to influence the clubhouse, so to speak, in the same way he would if he were showing up and playing every day. So I think your point is well taken. I think that's a big loss. Everybody knows the character of Brandon Graham, knows what a professional he is, never mind the fact that he's still a really good player. Um, and they're going to lose him. You know, They don't have him anymore, and that's going to hurt. Following up on that one. All preseason, John, myself, you guys, uh, you and Print Mike, uh, anybody who follows the Eagles, were elite a little surprised by how protective the Eagles were of their players. Veterans Day off, like the third day of camp. Did they have a Veterans Day? Yeah, third day. Third day of camp. It's a Veterans Day. Don't worry about practice. (laughs) And in the preseason games, guys not even playing – Jalen Hurts, 10 snaps, and yeah, Jalen, we're not going to be using you in the final game. So they had an overall philosophy, and they started the season very healthy, and you had to say, well, maybe they read it right. Second game, lose two guys, one for an entire season, one for to be determined. Key guys, part of those protect the veterans, let's not get them out there too much uh, group that they handled. I know it's too short a term to judge it, but the Eagles would also say, look, it's working for us after one game of the season. So on the positive side, they're ready to judge after a small sample size. After this week, it's a negative side, small sample size. Have we learned yet if the Eagles were smart or foolish to be as protective of their players in preseason as they were this year? I don't think we've learned anything yet, Jody. It's it's funny to me how the the thinking on this has kind of shifted in so, in different ways, right? Um, I think, Jody, you and I have talked about this before with respect to Andy Reid, right? That Andy really, he lets the starters play in the preseason. Um, Now, back when Andy was starting out with the Eagles, that approach was always, people attributed Eagles' slow starts to Andy's approach. That they were, and even Brian Dawkins in his memoir that he just came out with talked about this, that we were kind of tired in the beginning of the season and we would get off to slow starts because we had played so much in the preseason. The starters had played so much. But then come November and December, we were edgier and harder for that work. Okay. Well, now the the script is kind of flipped where Andy Reid is regarded as kind of at the vanguard of this. Like I've heard him used as an example of like, well, it works for Big Red. Like he has these guys play hard in the preseason and he keeps his starters in there and maybe that's an advantage. Well, I don't know. It hasn't been an advantage to their defense through the first two weeks. They, they've looked pretty bad. And um, the other thing that's flipped is if anything, Andy's the one kind of exploiting the market efficiency here. It's become so common for teams to hold their starters back in the preseason now that you know, with, are the Eagles gaining, are the Eagles at any disadvantage by holding theirs back too? They're just doing what everybody else is doing. Um, and so I, I haven't seen a study or a report or anything that suggests 
well, the teams that go leave their starters in longer during the preseason don't suffer as many injuries, or the ones that don't play their starters at all suffer more injuries. I don't know the, the, the data behind that. So at this point, I just say, bad luck that Brandon Graham tore his Achilles. You know, Brandon Brooks already with two torn Achilles, already with, you know, a bit of an injury history, suffered another injury. You know, that's kind of, I would just chalk it up to football for now. You know, you brought, uh, piqued my interest there with Mike. The Eagles do what everybody else does. And anybody who's been around Jeffrey Lurie knows he's obsessed with being on the cutting edge of the NFL. But I kind of agree with you. I think he's more in the group than can. Oh, this is the way the industry is going. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And if you go the way everybody's going, well, that means you got to be the best of everybody else. Whereas if I think the brilliance of Bill Belichick to a lesser degree, Andy Reid, they're willing to throw the curveballs. Oh, you're going to do that. I'm going to do this. You're going to zig. I'm going to zag. Am I overstating that? Or do you think Jeffrey Lurie's a little bit overrated in the fact that he wants to be innovative, but innovation isn't following the leader? No, I think think you're 100% right, John. I mean, look, his Lurie's whole posture about football is points lead. You know, the the league is all about throwing the ball. The league is all about points. You've got to score. You've got to score. Well, that's common thought throughout the league. I actually wrote a column about this after the Eagles fired Doug uh, back in January. I wrote the column back in January, February, that if the Eagles really wanted to be innovative, right, the analogy I used was if the NBA increased the size of the basket to the point that even Ben Simmons could make a three point okay <laughs> then in the mar- you wouldn't if you were a smart nba team you wouldn't go out and sign a bunch of guys who played like Steph Curry you would go out and sign a bunch of guys who could keep the opposing team from get from shooting the ball at all because it's so much easier to score now and and the value of a player like Steph Curry or Kyle Korver or somebody who could really shoot well from the outside has gone down Well, the same principle should apply to the NFL. If everybody's trying to score all the time, the market inefficiency is stopping them from scoring. Washington made the playoffs last year going seven and nine with basically the three of us playing quarterback because their defense was so good. Okay, so, yeah, the Eagles should have hired. I I argue the Eagles might think about hiring a guy who's more accented to defense. They didn't do that. You know, even the the reason they won that Super Bowl or a big reason they won that Super Bowl, their willingness to go for it on fourth down as much as they did. Well, Bill Belichick had been doing that for 10 years. I mean, yeah. we remember the game in 2009 where he went for it on fourth down against the Colts because he didn't want Peyton Manning to get the ball back. And the whole league was like, what the hell is he doing? This is crazy. Well, guess what? That was the innovation right there. And the Eagles just kind of followed his lead. So I think there's a lot. Uh, 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 there's a lot of validity to what you're saying there, John. Jeffrey Lurie wants to be perceived as innovative, but the question really is how innovative is he? Mike, I got a little perturbed by Nick Sirianni and his press gathering on Monday. I'm a fan. I, I like Sirianni. I think they made a good hire, and it's still very much to be determined, but I didn't like some of his answers, uh, and I do want to touch on one of them with you. Last night on my show on WIP, I got a call, call and said, what is Bryce Harper doing? He got thrown out on the base paths twice. And I had to say, yeah, you're right, but he's Bryce Harper. He's the reason why they're still in the pennant race. So, yeah, you're going to have to cut him some slack. 
we have Derek Barnett with the Eagles, which Nick Sirianni ticked me off when he said, hey, I don't know about Derek Barnett taking previous uh, unnecessary roughness calls. I just got here. Yeah, that's your job to know what happened with one of your players previously before you got there. Derek Barnett is in Bryce Harper. He was a first-round draft pick who the Eagles moved up to get, who they like to protect their first-round draft picks and like, but they made a statement this week by signing Josh Sweat to an extension and not Derek Barnett. What's Derek Barnett going to be rest of this year and going forward for the Philadelphia Eagles? He's going to be a guy who I think Nick Sirianni and the rest of the coaching staff is going to be keeping a close eye on to see if he commits another stupid penalty like the one he committed on Sunday. I think his, I think his rope is very short now. Um, I think the point you made is a great one, Jody, about the fact that they could have signed one of those two guys, Barnett or Sweat, and they picked Sweat, um, who over the last year or two has been every bit as productive as Barnett has been. And if you factor in the really silly penalties, the undisciplined penalties that Barnett has taken, um, you know, that, that Sweat's been the better player. I wonder how much of this, and I'd be curious to John's take on this, because he's in the locker room, or at least when we were in the locker room, he was, <laughs> you know, he's around a lot. Um, <clears throat> Barnett was so young when he entered the NFL. He was only 20 years old. And I can't, I, I wonder about that with respect to the way he plays. I, I don't know. Does he feel, is that, I, I'd be curious to your take on that, John. Like, does he, does he feel like he has to, do stuff like this? Is it just a matter of him being undisciplined? Because, you know, it didn't strike me. He didn't strike me as that kind of player initially. I mean, they talked a lot about how sound he was and how kind of mature he was, at least for that first season. I, I don't know. I, I can't explain why he commits these penalties. Yeah, I mean, I, from my perspective, I think he's just a really hyper-aggressive physical player. I mean, he lit up the tight end from the Patriots, I think Matt Lacoste in training camp, and everybody was like, ooh, and ah, and, and the poor guy was on the field for about 10 minutes. And, you know, the next day, Derek Barnett was out for a week because he hurt his shoulder on that same hit. He's just a really over-aggressive guy. I, I always bring up Bontez Perfect. I don't think it's that bad, but there's just certain guys who can't, you know, toe that line. And I think Derek Barnett is in that category. You either deal with it or you don't deal with it, I think, at this point. I, I think it's not changing. We're through different regimes. He's still making those kind of plays. And I don't know how you stop it. I can't blame that one on Nick Sirianni, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, To your point, though, Jody, I would say this. I think Sirianni – I don't have as big a problem with Sirianni saying, you know what, players get a clean slate because I'm new here. Like, you know, judge them on what they've done for me. I understand where you're coming from. And, yeah, what Barnett did, the, the, the penalty he took fits into the player he's always been. But I also think, you know, young head coach he's going to give Barnett a second chance. It may only be one second chance, but I don't necessarily have a problem with that. It's like the whole idea of a clean slate with the new coach. Show me who you are. And then, okay, all right, you showed me who you are and it's exactly the guy you've been. Now we got to do something about it. Yeah. But he said the same thing about uh, Jalen Hurts. I don't care whether he did or didn't throw the ball over the middle edge here. I wasn't here. That's your job. You're supposed to know. You're supposed to go back and do the research. There's tape on everything. How do you say that if you're the head coach? Uh, I'm not a Queensland kind of guy. (laughs) All right, last one from me, Mike, uh, and read Mike Sielski. I'm going to call him the best columnist in Philadelphia. And also, 
Uh, your book coming out January 11th, is that, uh, yes. is that when it's coming out? Yes, it is. The so, Rise, Kobe Bryant, and the Pursuit of Immortality. Yeah, so shameless plug there. Not so shameless because it's, uh, it's a must-read from Mike Sielski. I want to talk about this defense, Mike, Jonathan Gannon. Look, we always say, I said it, small sample size, but here we are, week two. I didn't see this coming. Eagles are fourth in total defense, second in, in points per game allowed, fifth and third down defense, but they're not turning the football over. Um, what have you seen from Jonathan Gannon? What do you like? What do you dislike? Is this defense overachieving in your mind? It certainly is for me. It is overachieving, and I'm, I'm more concerned about the turnover thing um, then I think a lot of people probably are, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but you know, that was a hallmark of the defense in 2017, right? When they got to the Super Bowl, was they forced turnovers. They did not force turnovers last season. Um, and you know, they're, they're not giving up these giant chunk plays through two games, but the flip side of that is I would argue as much as I like Matt Ryan and think he's kind of underrated over the course of his career, <laughs> In Matt Ryan at age 36 and Jimmy Garoppolo, they have not faced two of the more explosive quarterbacks and offenses in this league, right? Um, you know, the Falcons look like they're going to be pretty bad. The Niners' entire approach is kind of predicated on the Shanahan spread. You know, Garoppolo does not challenge a defense, you know, in his mobility and his in the strength of his throwing arm in the way that quarterbacks they're going to face later in the season will. I mean, you get Dak Prescott, who's off to a terrific start coming up this week. You're going to have to face Tom Brady. You're going to have to face Justin Herbert. There's going to be guys coming up this season who are really going to test this defense. Patrick so, Mahomes. Patrick Tom Mahomes. Oh, my gosh. I completely forgot about him. So, yeah. So let's see what happens as the season goes along. Have they been good so far? Yes. But you always have to look and see okay, well, who are you going against? And the offenses that they've faced so far aren't exactly the ones that in, the, in this league are going to set the world on fire. Uh, by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo, the one thing he did well on Sunday, or maybe the one thing he did better than anything else, he did well sneaking the football, which <laughs> the coach didn't pick up on that. Nick Nick could have picked up on how that was working on that field that day. Actual quarterback sneaks, but again, we digress. Uh, one more shameless question slash plug. Uh, the accompanying podcast for the book that's coming mm. out in January. When does that begin to air? All right. So the podcast is going to be called I Am Kobe. And uh, it's going to be through iHeartRadio and all their, you know, connections and all of that, however you get your podcast. Uh, and it starts November 16th. It's a 10-part narrative podcast. Narrated. I'm going to be narrating it. I went back and interviewed some of the people I talked to for the book. It's kind of uh, a different glance on the story of Kobe's early life. It's not like an audio version of the book. It, it complements the book very well. The book goes deeper in some of the issues and, and events that we talk about in the podcast. But um, yeah, so really excited about that. November 16th, I am Kobe. Looking forward to the podcast, even though you get you want to read the podcast, then you have to get the book. You got to get the book after you, you listen to the podcast. Because it just goes, go yeah. No, it's a package deal. <laughs> <laughs> just, the podcast is free. So, like, That's think of it right. as like you buy the book and you get the podcast there free. There we go. Yeah. The riseofkobebook.com, too. Yeah, that. correct. The riseofkobebook.com. 
Mike Sielski, always a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on board. You know, we'll be tapping you in again soon enough. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much, guys. I enjoyed it. That is Mike Sielski, uh, the lead columnist at the Inquirer and in town, as <laughs> per both Jody McDonald and John McMullen. All right, coming back, the two aforementioned Mac men will put a bow on the show. A couple minutes left to get that much more into the Eagles and the Cowboys coming up next Monday night. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spot on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go for the steaks and the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Mag and Mag guys coming back to give you a topper on your coffee of the Cowboys Eagles, which we've been discussing so far this week. Made it more about the Cowboys today. We'll make it more about the Cowboys that much more over the next couple of days because they don't play till Monday. So you're going to get Cowboys Eagles Monday here on Birds 365. Now, uh, in advance, I don't know this. I should know this, McMullen. Are you Dallas bound? 
for Monday night's game, or are you uh, doing your work from home? No, I am Dallas bound. So leaving Sunday night, uh, coming back Tuesday, Tuesday night. So, so we won't have you Monday or Tuesday next week. We'll have you at the top of the show as a guest on your own show again. Yeah. How about that? Well, you know, travel is travel. It's which difficult. You, which you will do again tomorrow as well, because the other thing that takes you off the show is uh, COVID testing, which you got to get done if you want to go yeah. down to Dallas. Maybe right? if I fail COVID testing, maybe <laughs> I won't be there. But, you know, who knows? Can I actually root for an outcome on a COVID test? Would that would that be a violation to root for? As long as I'm asymptomatic, test? I don't, I, you know, it's it's difficult. It's difficult getting to Dallas at times. Well, maybe you can watch the game with uh, Zach Ertz on Monday night if neither you or he go down because you're both positive on the COVID side. No, I we kid because we care. Um, here's one thing that I uh, want to note for those, and I think I saw one guy on the stream say it today. I know I got it on my WIP show uh, Monday night that Jalen Hurts is not the answer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, if not, then who is the answer always returns to Deshaun Watson. How's that working out with Deshaun Watson? The uh, Texans lose Tyrod Taylor this week. So the Texans are going to fold and say, we need to get Sean back on the line, right? Nope. Not going to play nope. again this oh, week. He's never, he's never going to play for the Houston Texans again. That's, that's a fait accompli. You know, what's interesting though, you know, the let, let me, teams- let me interrupt you there. If that's the case, if the Texans are never going to put him into a game again, if the Eagles were to trade for him, does that make the Eagles a lesser team? Does that mean that they're willing to compromise themselves and put a player with Well, from a morality character? standpoint, it might. It depends yeah. how you kind of look at it. Um, a, I, he doesn't want to come here. So he's not going to agree. He has a no-trade clause. He's not going to agree to come here. It is interesting, though. The two teams around the league people have speculated on are Carolina and Miami. Sam Darnold's playing so well. Now, it's very early, but, you know, it's starting to look like Adam Gase was the problem with Sam Darnold. And if that continues, all of a sudden Carolina's out of the equation, which leaves it to Miami, which probably would still want him, and and that would be his most likely uh, landing spot. And I still think it's his most likely landing spot when it gets done. Who knows? But ultimately, now there will be teams, you know, this happens every year. Things go awry and there will be teams. If we go all the way to next offseason and Deshaun Watson spends the entire year in sort of a stasis, there's going to be six, seven teams back in the bidding. But that's for down the road. Until he changes his mind on Philadelphia, and I don't know what the issue is. I assume it was lack of playmakers. Maybe Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins proved to him that they're NFL players as the season goes on. Maybe he'll revisit that if it keeps going on and on and on. But for now, he doesn't want to play here for some reason. So it doesn't matter. Which, by the way, I don't know how many viewers we have to Birds 365 down in the Houston, Texas area and our executive for the Texans. I do want to get a message to them. Good for you. Stand <laughs> your ground. Don't make a trade just for making a trade's sake. And you were foolish enough to give uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, excuse me, uh, Deshaun Watson a no-trade con- contract. 
Make sure you get what you want in return. This is probably not helping me with Eagle Sounds Nation. Sounds like you're if they talking to uh, Daryl Morey as well. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what Who I'm saying. Ironically came from Houston, by the way. Da -da -da. Thank you very much for that, John. Um, yeah, don't don't let the inmates completely run the asylum. We know that they have a lot of power and more power to them for getting it. But some overuse it and flaunt it. Deshaun Watson, when he's got his own issues to be dictating terms, is a little bit of a tough pill to swallow uh, off the playoff run that Ben Simmons had. Him dictating all terms without a uh, no-trade clause in his contract this is even a tougher pill to swallow. Now, I, I, I want to see organizations take the power chair back and go, no, no, we're not just going to give in and give the players everything they want. You want to try and trade them, you should trade them. If it's not helping your team, you should do something else. But you should be at least able to uh, dictate terms. All right, so uh, J-Mac, no good tomorrow. You got COVID testing, but you will be here right at the top of the show when Jeff Kerr slides into your slot. Be here at the top of the show. So get ready. <laughs> yeah, we will be ready. And yeah, it's only 22 hours from now when we're that much closer to the Eagles and the Cowboys. Jeff Kerr will be here. We thank Dave Zingaro for being here with us today from NBC Sports Philadelphia and also Mike Sielski for the inquiry from, for hopping on board. Uh, we'll be right back at you 22 hours from now on Birds 365. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.